This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen, Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I am Blake Howard, and today, for the 19th minute of Michael Mann's crime opus, I am joined by a man whose resume is nigh intimidating to read. He's one of the nicest men in the biz who I know. He's a legend. His name is Oscar Hillstrom. Just, if you haven't heard that name straight off the bat, he's been a film reviewer on ABC, both on radio, on TV. He's been a script editor for genre flicks. He's been a program manager for a little thing called Popcorn Taxi, you may have heard of. He's been the host and the producer of a stack of stuff for the Sci-Fi Show and the Sci-Fi Channel. He was a curation consultant for the Australian arm of Mubi. He was the host of Showtime's Movie Club and their TV reviewer. And holy shitballs, he was the guy who was a co-founder and... And, and contributing editor for Empire Magazine for a stack of its entire existence. I know it still exists, but for a stack of its existence, when it was at its biggest, he was that. And what's even more hilarious that I learned tonight after a deep dive on LinkedIn, he was also the film reviewer in FHM, which means that I have been reading him since I bought FHM, since I was about 13 years old. Um, so... Oscar Hillestrom, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you. Mate, I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me on board. You're welcome. So we are about to be into this fantastic minute that begins at kind of the bookends of Vincent Hanna's appraisal of Neil McCauley's sort of aftermath, the Wayne Grove robbery scene. So we sort of kick into that um, and then we kick into a minute which I'm excited about because Oscar was... Super excited to talk about this scene. The, probably the most badass, what the F are you looking at scene of all time with Tom Sizemore as Michael Torito. So let's listen to the minute and then we can deep dive into heat. Now I want you to take Goldstein and Al Faro. Hang in with forensics from the bomb squad. I want the explosive. If we're lucky, it's exotic. We can trace the sale. Get your hand out of that man's pocket, Rachel. Washington Park. Gotta go to the job. There we have it. Ladies and gents, you've heard one minute of heat, the 19th minute. Oscar, there is so much in this minute that is just awesome. Well, one of the most interesting things about this particular scene, and this minute sets up the next minute, 
uh, which for me is the minute, uh, <laughs> which sums up Tom's, Tom Sizemore's talent uh, in a way that it's it's a moment, it's a look, and literally that's it. Uh, and that's what makes it really interesting. This choreography that we're seeing right now in the way that things are set up, you don't know what's coming if you haven't seen the movie. Um, everybody listening to this film has seen uh, to this podcast has seen the movie, so I'm not going to I'm not going to spoil it for you because it's already spoiled. Basically, <laughs> Wayne Grow is f u c k e d. These guys have got his number. They're they've got the plastic bag in the back of the <laughs> in the the back of the car, and they're setting him up to go. And the most interesting thing about it is that when you don't know what's happening you do sense the tension which is fantastic but the beauty of it is what Sizemore is doing and the blocking that man has put in there which is putting him on a perimeter in inverted commas and puts him on the other side of the table on the other side of the room in the diner and you don't know that Wayne Grow's being caged but he is and obviously there's space there for Macaulay to sit down right next to him which is he's uh, just about to come in and give him a bit of a headache. And um, and what I love about this scene, you're exactly right, is this caging of Wango. But when mm. you compare it to the last time you saw this guy, mm. the fact that he's so casually just n- numbing on some pie, it's <laughs> it's like could he is a genuine psychopath? And I love like there's this awesome pairing of Wayne Grow going, you guys want some pie? Like sort of sharing all his pie. And it's mirrored with Val Kilmer's face. He couldn't be showing more disdain and just like, there is something like, it, without being affronted by it as like a normal human being who's watching it and observing it like us, he's just like, this guy is a lunatic. I cannot wait to be away from him. That's what I just, it just reeks in Kilmer's performance so perfectly. And, you're, there's so much. There's three, three. There's four guys in this scene at the, at the beginning, and this blocking and choreography happens. You get Danny Trejo in one of his first film roles. So cash, like just he's just he was in jail before this movie. So it's like he's so casual, um, in, in and and so effortless. But man, I just I I I can't get over having watched this scene now a million times casually, but particularly breaking it down, that the last time you saw this guy, he just casually shot someone in the head and now he's eating pie. Well, the thing for me uh, is the disparate uh, reaction. This guy is trying to chew it off, so to speak. Yes. But the other guys are horrified, not that he's a psychopathic killer, but that he's unprofessional and he's trying to weasel his way out of it. They know in this situation, you, you never get into this situation oh. because you get the job done properly. And it is this lack of professionalism that they find most horrifying. You know what's funny about that? And this is what I love about this scene, and I'm only sort of cottoning on and being able to articulate it when we're talking about it, is I can't think of another job they would ever be all sitting in a diner in together. You know what I mean? Like if you're talking about the professionalism element, when after a job would all four guys be in the same place? It just exactly. would, It's unconscionable. So as soon as you said that, I'm like, there's never been a job that they've done this before. And this guy's so clueless 
and so sycophantic or so trying to sort of make up for, you know, form, <laughs> make up for the, the massive error that he's made and sort of sees how pro these guys really are, that he's so oblivious to the fact that these guys would never be in the same place together after a crime ever. Exactly. And the most interesting thing for me at this point is what's going on behind the camera. Yes. Uh, which is Tom Sizemore is blasted out of his mind on <laughs> hell and coke. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but the first sponsor that Tom Sizemore ever had was Robert De Niro. Really? Um, was the man behind his first intervention, which was on the set of Heat. Three days before Sizemore was meant to rap, he was seeing his psychiatrist who said, hang on a sec, I'm just going to step out and I'll just come back for a second. He brought in Sizemore's mum, his brother, and Robert De Niro. Oh, my who then God. Down and said, Tommy boy, uh, this has gone a little bit too far. It's time. Um, we're going to ship you out to a rehab centre at Tucson and you're going to go immediately after the uh, you're wrapped in your shooting. And the thing about Sizemore is that <clears throat> he wasn't quite ready to go. So, <laughs> um, this pertains to another minute, but at the end of the his shoot, which was the end of the heist, was when Vincent Hanna puts a, a neat dime in his forehead he was shot, done, finished, wrapped, all good. He was meant to be driven directly to rehab after that. He told his uh, assistant to get his Mustang ready, and he literally, walking past makeup with the, the stuff still on his head, <laughs> dove into the back of the Mustang convertible and drove off and went to a hotel and basically lived the dream for two days, was, you know, boozing up heroin, coke, whatever, and was sent out for food and then opened the door to to open the to the delivery driver and thinking that he was getting food and there's Bobby De Niro saying, time's up, buddy. And that's basically his first kind of intervention and his first kind of trip away from heroin and coke at that point. He's so good, Oscar, which is the biggest shame. He is mm. amazing in this film. He loses. There is, he is a, a menacing, interesting character. When he's on the job, there's probably no one that's more formidable or almost more intimidating because Neil is very honest. You know, Neil's constantly trying to blend. Um, exactly. Shahelis is, you know, just by nature of Kilmer, he's kind of that good-looking guy. So he's he's memorable which is kind of he's probably he's unfortunate he's scarred he's memorable but he's, he's he does have that same focus and intensity whereas mm. Sizemore is that he, you know when they're having dinner together he's the gregarious fun guy who's joking he's got it all he's the guy who's actually doing it with the family and happily <laughs> charging a giant truck a t tow truck truck <laughs> into an armored car like it's just a Wednesday he doesn't give a shit like it's amazing the 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 range that he's got and, and so organic. There's just nothing. But this guy's like tormented as hell. And then three years later, his other probably best performances in Saving Private Ryan. And didn't he have a like an didn't he have like just a stick on the size? Didn't he have like a 
someone who observed his every move to make sure that he wasn't relapsing? Well, this is the thing. It's like he was he uh, none he was clean. So basically, he was he was messing around towards the end of that shoot. It was actually Black Hawk Down, uh-huh. where he went from heroin coke to meth, oh, um, wow, and so. he tried it before he went to Black Hawk Down, and then. He had a two-week break um, from shooting in Morocco and then basically went to town and got hooked, um, which is obviously very sad, especially now sad. when you see, you know, what he's been through and coming back with Twin Peaks and you can see just the the ravages. But, you know, he's still got it. And the most interesting thing is that you've got Treo there who was obviously um, – a criminal. A legitimate but, ex-con, yeah. Man features them in his films a lot. Well, this is the weirdest thing. It's like man will pick up people like Dennis Farina in Thief, for example. Yes. Classic, like great character actor. He was a goddamn cop. Yeah. And all he of t- and all of the crooks, all of the crooks in Thief were cops. <laughs> and all of the cops were crooks, like legitimate <laughs> Chicago crime figures. He just thought, oh, I'm going to play with this. This, and, and and that's what, you look at, there's an amazing, if you haven't seen Thief, you have mm. to. It's almost yeah. like, it's a homework assignment for this podcast. Yep. And, yeah. and there's an incredible sequence, um, an interrogation sequence, and J- James Khan as the thief is, you know, he's he's squeaky clean. He does what he needs to do to st- so that they they can't pin really anything on him. And there's a really dirty interrogation scene, and it adds a, a lot more punch, and it's so much more potent because you see guys who've probably been in the James Khan position for real. Mm. Being on the other end and getting to sort of ham up and 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 play those cops who are sort of menacing and tormenting them, and in an amazing scene. But this scene, back to the scene at hand, Indeed. this cafe scene is ex- like this is just one sort of exquisite cutaway. We're going to lead into the next sequence, but yep. everything about it is so perfect. Let's talk about the caging because I think the blocking, as you reference, is so yep. perfect. Treo gets up. I got to go to the John. It's casual yep. as you like it. The so, minute he gets up, it's Sizemore's move and posture yep. that is just out of control good. It is so... It, it's like a lion tamer with a whip. He he's, he's marked that. He's marked him down. He's staring him down. There's there's no escape, and it's it's so perfect. Yeah, I call it liar's casual. Yeah. <laughs> And you can see it. Like, they've all got it. This is the most interesting thing about this scene is that there's there are no words, literally, and it makes it work. And even when you deal with the next scene, the amount of words that you're dealing with, it's extremely spare. And this is the beauty of filmmaking, which is, you know, vision come to life. And for me, when you can get all this information through without exposition, then it's... The camera movement, the actor movement, it's the placement that can tell a story. And somebody like Michael Mann knows what he's doing. Um, and it comes from the very basics of what do the actors look like, what are they what are they wearing, how do they move, what is that intention, but then obviously the intention of the scene. And that's, that's what makes this so interesting and elevates. So everybody talks about the diner scene, but it's uh, between Pacino and Nero. And it is fine, it's terrific, but it's very, very, very straightforward and obvious in terms of these, these. this is the hero that's the villain, this is how it's coming together, 
This particular scene is something entirely different. This tells a story, and that's what I love about it. And it's a lived-in world as well, Oscar, because, I mean, look, we, I mentioned very briefly in your intro that you're a script editor, and for me, even just as a film writer, economy and conveying instead of saying, exactly what you yep. said about ex, exposi- uh, exposition sort of, sometimes making a scene really lumbering when it doesn't need to be. That's what you love about this sequence because if you're thinking about what is actually said, it's a guy asking if anyone would like pie, someone saying they want to go to the bathroom. That's what's just been said. You know, I mean, that everything else that we've just waxed lyrical about is all in the description and these guys knowing their characters and... To, to a level of perfection, there's a choreography in a sense, but it's also mm-hmm. just, I, I mean, I want to, I'm going to, um, for, for folks listening to One Heat Minute, you can't see this, but I, I often will sort of slow-mo, um, slow-mo rewind scenes to sort of get to specific moments as we're talking about them or just sort of get back there pretty quickly. But one of my favorite sort of moments in this is just the look and it's at 18 minutes and 26 seconds. It's Val Kilmer's mm-hmm. face. There is so much in just that expression to pour yourself into. You don't need him to say a word. You don't need him to even say no dismissively. It's actually better if he says nothing. If he barely even acknowledges that Wayne Grow exists across from the table, other than he knows we're just going to kill this guy. We're going to put him in a boot in about a couple of minutes' time. Um, this is over. It's... Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible, incredible piece of sort of interplay without any words at all. Do you mm. think, actually, I'll ask you from a sort of your expertise, do you think that's mm. a scene where man has to kind of, in his mapping of it, he's kind of marking what intentions are as opposed to words as in how he's constructing it? Straight up, straight up, Stanislav, why are you here? What do you want? What do you, what's your character intent? What? What are you trying to achieve? Um, yes. Basically, you look at Kilmer's face there. Part of it is he's not looking at Gage, um, at um, Wayne Gray. Uh, he's ignoring Kevin Gage pointedly because uh, you don't engage with the goat that you're just about to sacrifice. <laughs> he's ignoring him whilst looking out the window for Macaulay to arrive. Yes. And also he's putting up with the monstrosity of this and that's the other thing is that you know um if you can kill four birds with one stone do it because that's that people feel that richness in the scene and they might not be able to articulate it at the moment because you can't watch five things at once but you can feel it and that authenticity and the skill level comes through and that's why you know, you look at uh, great film directors. You can you can feel more than you know, and you come out of it feeling richer. And then you can break it down. You pass it down and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. But at the moment, your mind takes it a lot more on than you're aware of, and the end result is total immersion in the story, and you get it. You don't have to have it explained to you. You just get it. Yeah, it's uh, you're in that sequence, and I, I love what you said earlier, just about the. It's almost like the atmosphere that's created in this scene. Mm. Um, the only person that doesn't know that it's a bad place to be <laughs> is Wayne Grow. You know, you, that, that, that's, that's what's so interesting. Or 
even more interesting still is like, is this a case of denial? Because really, in this moment, it's scary. Like it's a, like everyone, everyone in that cafe sequence is scary. And even when Neil walks in casually, we see we know from his outfit that he's literally coming back in from his conversation with Nate, played by John Voight in the car park. Like he's just been going to do the business of the mm-hmm. heist, and he's come into the yeah. scene. So we know that it's the same time, but it's almost like Neil's very casual, and even Neil in a split second that leads us up to Neil sort of taking his seat in the booth alongside Wayne Grove before we even see Tom Sizemore take his seat next to Kilmer in the next moment. He yeah. can't even hide the disdain on his face for Wayne Grove. The well, fact that they're all together. He puts his hand and it's a mic. Like this is the thing, the subtlety of it. Because what we're talking about is stuff that's been passed by looking at the film very carefully. But if you look at it with fresh eyes, the stuff that we're waxing lyrical about going, well, okay, I guess that's happening. <laughs> yes. But you don't have to have it explained to you. You just no. know it's happening. Yes. But it is quite subtle. So you look at, for example, when De Niro sits down next to Wayne, uh, well, to Gage, or Macaulay sits next to Wayne Grove, his right hand uh, rests on Wayne Grove's leather jacket in the way that, for example, your hand would push the shoulder of somebody down. Uh, so you have a, you, you freeze frame it, have a look, and that hand goes on that leather jacket and it's a violation of his space. Even though it's just a jacket, just on a chair, it's nothing important, it's nothing real. But you know what? That jacket didn't have to be there. That hand didn't have to be there. He didn't no. have to sit like that. All these things, whether by complete design or by happy accident, have helped tell this story, which is... Wayne grows fucked. <laughs> In summation, this scene begins and ends with Wayne grows fucked. Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning. I love uh, the I love the culmination. This is Vincent Hanna at his sort of quarterbacking best. Mm. We sort of see him punctuating and sending his his team to their assignments. And I love even as we're freeze we've just sort of freeze framed it. Eighteen minutes three seconds. I love. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of films that I just adore for people standing in places, teams of men standing in places. One of them is this film, Heat, which is one of my favorite films of all time. And another one, which is um, a Steven Spielberg film, which I don't think gets nearly as much praise as it should, which is Munich. Um, He has amazing sequences of that team, Eric Banner's Avner there and his crew, whether that be Danny Craig et al. They're all standing in such interesting ways and they're doing different stuff. So I love in the sequence now that was sort of freeze-framed, you've got got sort of um, Wes Studi's character sort of looking off with Vincent. You've got Bosco, who seems to be his like 2IC, if you like, you know, his first mate. He's really hanging on every word. He's listening. You've got Drucker standing in the back there appraising the scene as well, sort of sort of taking it in. So I love that there's these different roles that are happening with the entire crew and they're sort of talking about it. But just this is such a tiny man thing that I, I love the best. He's sort of wrapping the scene up. These guys are ready to go and take on their mission. We're, you know, 18, 18 minutes, 11 seconds, 12 seconds. We get Vincent walk over to... A woman by the name of Rachel, a crime scene investigator, and he's get your hand out of that man's pack, get your hand out of that man's pocket, Rachel. Rachel, and look, I'm going to shout it out right now in this podcast. If Rachel 
is listening to this podcast <laughs> by some miracle. I know that Rachel is actually a legitimate LA crime investigator. She was a CSI for real in 1995. And Michael Mann had her come to multiple scenes in this film. The This one is probably just a, a sort of... Uh, a little bit of dressing, a little bit of uh, a little bit of decorative sort of uh, a moment into this scene to see how Vincent interacts with the CSI. But she is prominent in a later scene in this film, which is actually a bit of the fallout from a Wayne Grow scene where Vincent is delving into uh, what has. Oh, I'm getting some feedback. Sorry about that. Um, delving into some specific information about what's happened in the scene, how we arrived at it. And he's talking to Rachel and she's getting screen time and saying lines. So if she's listening, please get in touch uh, with one heat minute, because we would love to talk to you about being in this film. But I, I just love that, that bit. You don't need to know that the crime scene investigator's name is Rachel. And it seems so <laughs> inconsequential, uh, but, but I think it's, that familiarity with the important people in the scene. So if you compare this quick second where he's really interested in sort of interacting with Rachel, who's a crime scene investigator for the scene, and you compare it to like the the local PD who are asking whether this is a robbery homicide, he can't even look at that person's face seriously. Like he doesn't barely, let alone know their name. He just doesn't care they exist. And this is 13 seconds. So really... We've just spent a chunk of minutes, Oscar and I, talking about 45 seconds of blocking and footage <laughs> with two lines. With two lines. And we haven't even gotten to the good bits of that scene. <laughs> Oscar, it would be my absolute pleasure. So I just wanted to you know, go behind the curtain. Guys, One Hit Minute is absolutely probably one of the favorite things I've ever done um, in any form of film analysis or commentary or writing you might know a little bit about me and some of the stuff i've done actually some great stuff has actually been flicked past to me by the lovely man who's been uh, assisting me um and talking about heat tonight so thank you sir and this is one of my favorite things um particularly now because when i asked oscar i said i have to have you on this podcast he said he needed to talk to me about Tom Sizemore's expression in the next minute of heat. And I thought, well, what's better? Let's talk about the entire scene. Two minutes. So, sir, will you join me again for one more one heat minute uh, for the folks to listen to? I have to. I have to. I can't help myself. Excellent. Ladies and gents, thank you so much for listening to One Heat Minute again. Again, it's oneheatminute.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Please review us um, and comment uh, for us. Oscar Hillestrom, I'll give you all of his details in the wrap-up. But thank you so much, sir, for joining me. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you in another minute very soon. Thank you so much to Oscar Hillestrom, who will be back on an episode of One Heat Minute next episode, which is on Friday. If you want to find Oscar, you can check him out on Twitter at BR260454. That will lead you to all the other places that Oscar is. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our web design. Thank you to Mr. Paul Davies for our theme. And as always, thank you guys who for listening, subscribing, rating and reviewing One Heat Minute. Mail at oneheatminute.com if you've got anything for us. I am at Blakey's Batman on Twitter. Thank you so much again, guys, for listening to another One Heat Minute.